Hi, my name is Jeff Redding. I'm a preaching elder here at Walton Community Church in Monroe, Georgia. Before we begin the sermon, our church would like to invite you to join us as we gather every Sunday morning for worship at 10 a.m. You can learn more about our church on our website at waltoncommunitychurch.org. Thanks for listening. Good morning, WCC. Let's go ahead and turn to Leviticus chapter 7. And we're going to be finishing a major section in this book. Roughly speaking, chapters 1 through 5 is a teaching on the five major offerings. And then chapters 6 and 7, broadly speaking, is a retelling of these five offerings, but from the perspective of the priests. I gave an, an illustration last week of when I fumbled uh, during a graduation ceremony, remembering all the seniors' names except one, and how that student came up on their own initiative unannounced and grabbed their diploma, and I apologize, wearing egg on my face, being comforted with uh, true knowledge that, yes, they still graduated, even though you fumbled. But there's this concern, what happens if a priest messes up on the offering? We're going to be reading today that if you mishandle the meat, um, the repercussions can be devastating. So it's important that the people know what is required of them. And at the same time, it's important that the priest knows what's not only required of the people, but what Yahweh requires of them. Hopefully you're in chapter 7 by now. Brace yourself, it's a little long. I'm going to read it in its entirety, and then we're going to divide it into some, I think, manageable sections today. Hear the word of the Lord. Now this is the law of the guilt offering. It is most holy. In the place where they slay the burnt offering, they are to slay the guilt offering, and he shall sprinkle its blood around the altar. Then he shall offer from it all its fat, the fat tail and the fat that covers the entrails and the two kidneys with the fat that is on them, which is on the loins and the lobe on the liver, he shall remove with the kidneys. The priest shall offer them up in smoke on the altar as an offering by fire to the Lord. It is a guilt offering. Every male among the priests may eat of it. It shall be eaten in a holy place. It is most holy. The guilt offering is like the sin offering. There is one law for them. The priest who makes atonement with it shall have it. Also, the priest who presents any man's burnt offering, that priest shall have for himself the skin of the burnt offering which he has presented. Likewise, every grain offering that is baked in the oven and everything prepared in a pan or on a griddle shall belong to the priest who presents it. Every grain offering mixed with oil or dry shall belong to all the sons of Aaron, to all alike. Now this is the law of the sacrifice of peace offerings, which shall be presented to the Lord. If he offers it by way of thanksgiving, then along with the sacrifice of thanksgiving, he shall offer unleavened cakes mixed with oil, and unleavened wafers spread with oil, and cakes of well-stirred fine flour mixed with oil. With the sacrifice of his peace offerings for thanksgiving, he shall present his offering with cakes of leavened bread. Of this you shall present one of every offering as a combination to the Lord. 
It shall belong to the priests who sprinkle the blood on the peace offerings. Now, as for the flesh of the sacrifice of his thanksgiving peace offering, it shall be eaten on the day of his offering. He should not leave any of it over until morning. But if the sacrifice of his offering is a votive covenant or freewill offering, it shall be eaten on the day that he offers his sacrifice. And on the next day, what is left, it may be eaten. But what is left over from the flesh of the sacrifice on the third day shall be burned with fire. So if any of the flesh of the sacrifice of his peace offering should ever be eaten on the third day, he who offers it will not be accepted, and it will not be reckoned to his benefit. It shall be an offensive thing, and the person who eats of it will bear his own iniquity." Also, the flesh that touches anything unclean shall not be eaten. It shall be burned with fire. As for other flesh, anyone who is clean may eat such flesh. But the person who eats the flesh of the sacrifice of peace offering, which belongs to the Lord, in his uncleanliness, that person shall be cut off from his people. When anyone touches anything unclean, whether human uncleanliness or an unclean animal, or an unclean, detestable thing, and eats of the flesh of the sacrifice of the peace offerings, which belongs to the Lord, that person shall be cut off from his people. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel, saying, You should not eat any fat from an ox, a sheep, or a goat. Also, the fat of an animal which dies on the fat of an animal torn by beasts may be put to any other use. But you must certainly not eat it. For whoever eats the fat of the animal from which an offering by fire is offered to the Lord, even the person who eats shall be cut off from his people. You are not to eat any blood, neither bird nor animal, in any of its dwellings. Any person who eats any blood, even that person shall be cut off from his people. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel, saying, He who offers the sacrifice of his peace offering to the Lord shall bring his offering to the Lord from the sacrifice of his peace offerings. His own hands are to bring offerings by fire to the Lord. He shall bring the fat with the breast, that the breast may be presented as a wave offering before the Lord. The priest shall offer up the fat in the smoke on the altar, but the breast shall belong to Aaron and his sons. You shall give the right thigh to the priest as a contribution from the sacrifices of your peace offerings. The one among the sons of Aaron who offers the blood of the peace offering and the fat, the right thigh shall be his portion. For I have taken the breast of the wave offerings and the thigh of the contribution from the sons of Israel from the sacrifices of their peace offerings and have given them to Aaron the priest and to his sons as are due forever from the sons of Israel." This is that which is consecrated to Aaron and that which is consecrated to his sons from the offerings by fire to the Lord in that day when he presented them to serve as priests to the Lord. These the Lord had commanded to be given them from the sons of Israel in the day that he anointed them. It is their due forever throughout their generations. This is the law of the burnt offering, the grain offering, and the sin offering, and the guilt offering, and the ordination offering, and the sacrifice of peace offering, which the Lord commanded Moses at Mount Sinai in the day that he commanded the sons of Israel to present their offerings to the Lord 
in the wilderness of Sinai. This is the word of the Lord. There is something beautiful but weighty reading a passage like this in its entirety. Um, I have thought about how I should present that, if I should read it as a whole or, or break it up and making it a bit easy. And I felt convicted today to read it as a whole. It's a good practice for us to read large chunks of Scripture. Um, and sometimes we, we don't have time to spend a whole hour at home to meditate on an entire chapter. And, and it might be your practice, or it might be just what's available for you at the moment. To read a couple verses, and then you're on the go. I understand that. But I want to encourage you to, in your own daily devotions, read large chunks of Scripture like this. And even more challenging, those of you that have little ones, I know it's hard. Um, but it's a good practice to maybe to get them used to seeing that. Because when we start isolating verses and don't understand context, not knowingly, we create our own Bible, and we create our own theology, and we really mute the voice of God. Not always, not always, but that, that's a propensity. So, Leviticus chapter 7, everyone smile, let's get awake. We're going to divide this into some easy sections today. Uh, we're going to look at the instructions that the priests are to give to the people. That's in verse 1 through 5. And this is the law of reparations. And it has a whole bunch of different other names for it, depending on your Bible translation or what commentary you might use. But I call this the reparations offering. And we have seen this previously in Leviticus chapter 5, verses 14 through chapter 6, 7. And that really threw me off when I was preaching because when the Bible interpreters make their own chapters and verses, it always doesn't follow what I would think would be appropriate to preach in. But what we learn in this offering is that this is an offering that is presented when one sins intentionally or unintentionally before God's law. This offering is not one that was required on a certain festival. This is one that's offered as someone's conscience has been pricked. So they have lived life, they've lived their week, and they have committed something that is against the Lord, and they feel compelled to bring something to him and to confess it to them. And I've thought about how would that play out in just an everyday person's life in the Old Testament? Maybe someone's bringing an offering to the priest, they're having conversation, and they reveal where they fell short. Maybe the priest recognizes there's some guilt there. There's some shame or an uneasiness, and the priest says, hey, it might do you well to offer an offering of reparations here. You seem to be struggling and wrestling with your sin, unsure of yourself, and desiring reconciliation. When we talked about this offering previously, it really highlighted the seriousness of sin. Yes, there are really offerings that were presented for the, maybe I'm not sure if I sinned. And I mentioned then that we're pretty lax this day and age. We... we, we console ourselves, we excuse things away, we busy ourselves when we have sinned against God, when we have sinned against loved one or neighbor. But God can't overlook those things. 
and God desires that those things be made right between you and him, and also amongst neighbor. I had this beautiful practice growing up that when I sinned, I was forced, encouraged, and then taught to apologize to a sibling that day, that hour. And we're doing that now with, with our children, and it's not easy, it's, it's hard. I still hate doing it. If I do someone wrong, I don't want to apologize. I just pretend it doesn't happen. I ignore it. I, time fixes wounds, and that's true. But is it appropriate? Is it best? Does it honor God? Well, in this situation, they would bring an animal. They would slit it open. They wouldn't remove themselves from social media for a week or two and expect for it to just disappear. They wouldn't use the, I forgot my charger and that's why I couldn't answer my phone excuse or I've been flooded with emails. We have it really nice. We get to do those things. Oh, I just needed a break. No, they took care of it by taking an animal and opening it up. In addition to this reparations, if it was intentional sin, they made a vow, they bore false witness, they touched something while being unclean, not only would they offer an animal, but then they would offer 20% in addition to their offense. Determined if one was guilty and intentional or not. Now, as we revisit this offering in Leviticus chapter 7, I want you to notice it is most holy. Now, repetition, we know to look for it and highlight it in our Bibles. And the hard thing about Leviticus is it's so much long. Right now, there's been no story. It's just been God dictating to Moses thus far. No interruptions like a leaf fell from a tree or a deer hopped over a river. And it's just God completely giving law. But when things are repeated, it's important to notice those things. This is known as most holy, we find in verse 1. And then rest your eyes to verse 6. It shall be eaten in a holy place. This is on the north side of the altar. This isn't one given out of praise or out of thanksgiving. This offering is made from one's sin. Then again, in verse 6b, the Lord says again, it is most holy. So this is voluntary. This could be hidden, or this could be held on to, or you could take care of it whenever it is you wanted to. Now, I imagine there probably were some conversations as someone came to the priest, they vent or they spoke. It's very possible, and I could be dead wrong here, but my mind thinks about hypotheticals. Maybe someone for the priest, you know, that person should be offering a different offering today. You know, this person, they haven't given this and their 20%. You know how they have done me wrong. This is given on someone's own initiative. And this reminds me that people who long after God desire to be holy. You want to know someone who, who is God-like? You want to know someone who is passionate about Jesus and takes their soul seriously? 
who thinks about their testimony and who delights in the Lord, they're someone that wants to take care of sin seriously. Now, not to the point where they're so overly dramatic and they need a big audience for everyone to see how sorry and remorseful they are. That's someone who's not secure in their faith and loves to brag about themselves. That's someone who doesn't understand repentance in the healthiest of light. But a person who longs after God desires to be holy. What's beautiful about this is this pursuit of holiness, this pursuit of righteousness is still in the context of those that engage in worship. Do you know what we are doing now, engaging God in worship, though I'm not singing and there's no guitar going on, this is worship. This is edifying you. This is washing your soul. This is good and delightful. Those that love the Lord and desire repentance come to him and bring offering and come to him and worship him. In verses 1 through 5, I've been thinking about, okay, so these people have a sin, intentional or even unintentional, and what's the best thing that they need? How can they solve this issue of their sin? They've been polluted, they have offended, they have rebelled, they are distorted. How can they care for their sin? How does the world care for guilt, shame, embarrassment, weakness, and sorrow? How do I mimic that in my own life when I feel really guilty, when I feel vulnerable, when I feel just dead wrong? How do I try and fix the, um, fix the situation on my own? How do you try and fix the situation when your guilt haunts you? Your sin needs holiness. Which is crazy because holiness is the most fearful thing I can imagine. Because God is holy, we are threatened. We're not holy. We are sinners. God's wrath is poured upon the unjust. But those who seek him find repentance and find grace. Sin does not need emotionalism. You are so loved and that's okay. You're trying so well. You're still special in and of yourself. Now, this can be true or distorted and lead you to hell. You are special in God's sight. You are loved. By God. But if you think that sin can just be wiped away, that you do not need to confess before the Lord, that you don't need His Son, your Savior, to reconcile you to God, but you just show good intention, beloved, you're deceiving yourself. Sin does not need sentimentalism, sin does not need minimalism. You got that from your dad, that trait, that practice. 
oh, you go through that in that, that age period where you're just awkward and, and weird. You'll outgrow it. Sin doesn't need rationalism. Well, what were you to do? I mean, you were between a rock and a hard place. What were you supposed to do? Just take it? Be embarrassed? Be shamed? This one's hard to say. Sin doesn't need to be celebrated. Sin doesn't need to be celebrated. You're being who you are. Or you really showed it to them, didn't you? You defended your name. How brave of you. It's not to be celebrated. It's not to be given license. Everyone does it. And it's not to be denied. It's not there. It doesn't exist. Let me give you a reminder. We're in Leviticus. I love you guys that I get to read this book and teach it. I'm so blessed by it. What cures us from sin is God's holiness. The very thing that threatens humanity. Turn, if you will, to Psalm 32. What I love about the Psalms is it gives us a glimpse of one who approaches God with a myriad of emotions. Someone who's not perfect and readily confesses they are guilty. And they write from the perspective of one that offered sacrifices unto God. Verse 1. How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent about my sin, my body washed away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. Selah. I acknowledged my sin to you, and my iniquity I did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the guilt of my sin, Selah. Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you in a time when you may be found. Surely in a flood of great waters they will not reach him. You are my hiding place. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with songs of Deliverance, Selah. I imagine this is the type of prayer or song that could be offered as someone offers this reparations. I've held on to my sin. It's wasted me away. And you have allowed me to be honest in this sin and make it right. One of the scariest things about seeking forgiveness is knowing that the person on the other end might not forgive you. A scary thing for fathers is you in a very real, real way represent God to your kids. 
a very real way. If you are slow to forgive, quick to give shame, and hard, you think that might affect the way they approach God and forgiveness? It has in my own life. And I had a great dad, still have a great dad. One of the things he rarely confesses is he's a mess up. At his funeral, I'm going to celebrate that. Dad was a mess up and he let me know it. Make it easy for your children to ask for forgiveness. Make it easy in your life to be reconciled to others. Now, it can't always happen. A lot of it depends on them, but what the, what, what's on you, let it go. Because what's happening here is Israel commits sins, and they, they, are, they are a people that continually need sacrifices because they do these things intentionally and unintentionally, just like you do things before God and before loved ones intentionally and unintentionally, and we constantly need to be forgiven and reconciled. Be someone that, as, as far as it depends upon you, be at peace with all people. And in that, know that your life is being a testimony of the power of the gospel in you. Yeah, you were wrong. Yeah, you were offended. Yeah, you were hurt. But you desire that relationship to be restored. You love and you value them. Jesus came to save sinners. He came to tend to those that were sick that were blind, that were dead. Not those that were healthy and cheerful and had everything figured out. We're going to move over to uh, the section 6 through 10. This is the priest's provisions and privileges. So the people have a responsibility in bringing an animal before God. And now what are the priests to do? We We read this in verse 6 through 10. We see in verse 7, the priest makes atonement, uh, and he is, sorry, the priest who makes atonement shall have portions of this animal. The priest shall have for himself the skin of the burnt offering which he has presented. Verse 9, everything prepared in a pan or on a griddle shall belong to the priest who preserves it. Verse 10, every grain offering mixed with oil or dry shall belong to all the sons of Aaron. We find in this portion that God is going to provide as his people are obedient. Now, this has been called holy three times. Most holy. And the priest is going to, in a sense, benefit from this. But he better prepare himself. This comes from someone in their humility and from their sincerity. And to just use this as a time to cash in, that upsets the Lord. That removes the glory of his forgiveness and turns this into an exchange. They would receive grain, they would receive meat, and they would also receive skins. That's kind of nice. It's one of the ways in which the Lord provided for this tribe. This one tribe singled out to serve others. 
Paul talks about this a little bit in 1 Corinthians. You don't need to turn there. But 1 Corinthians chapter 9, he says, Do you not know that those who perform sacred services eat the food of the temple? And those who attend regularly to the altar have their share from the altar. So also the Lord directed those who proclaim the gospel to get their living from the gospel. Paul shares he's an exception. And a lot of the apostles were an exception. But a basic teaching found in the New Testament is if you have elders, if you have pastors, you provide for them as they are busy ministering for the people. The beautiful thing about our church is we have a plurality of elders. So it's not all of us doing the heavy lifting on our own. We get to share that. But there is sacrifice. We have meetings, we have emails, conversations, and, and beside those administrative things, which thank God we have Greg, uh, we also go to your homes. You come to our homes. We have conversations on the phone. We pray with one another. We open up this book and encourage one another. We at times in sorrow say, I don't know. I love spending time with those things. I get to double dip being a chaplain. Do you know what I do? I clock in and I visit someone. Usually he wants to be encouraged in the scriptures or prayed for. I sometimes put up with some of their whack of theology that's just crazy. But I can do that because I get to in that moment enjoy the communion of a saint in a very unique and different way. These things take time. If you're hurting, if you're needing love and attention and guidance, one of the elders doesn't pick out their time card, walk to your house, slide it on the doorway, and start counting the minutes. And it doesn't equate to, well, now you owe me this much money, or I can only give you this much time. So Paul says, church, provide for the ministers. He says in the Old Testament, the Levites were provided for. You know how much more freeing it is to speak about this, knowing that I'm not the, the lead elder? Oh, it feels good talking about money and financially giving and supporting pastors, knowing I'm not the main personality. Whew, so much easier. Thanks be to God. So this has been called not most holy, um, oh, sorry, we're going to go now to, I'm going a little fast from my notes. We're now going to be looking at verses 12 through 15. This is the law, the law concerning the fellowship offering, and we have seen this previously. And I love this offering because this is one that really communicates we're going to have a meal before God. The offerer could partake of this. The priest could partake of this. Bread was offered with it as well. It was usually accompanied by the law of reparations, or the sin offering, it was now that I have been forgiven, now that I am reconciled to God, I am going to dine at his table with him. That's the beautiful thing about forgiveness. It offers you the, the time and the enjoyment of one another. You've forced in a room where forgiveness has not been granted. Awkward is an understatement. Painful is, is a better description. 
close proximity. You don't want to contact each other with, the, with your eyes. Their own very voice makes your blood boil. Maybe another analogy. You're in Sunday school. You're estranged from God. And the last thing you want to do is just hear about you and God. Let's be busy talking about church history or the weather. Lord help you. Sports. Whatever it is. This fellowship offering is after that has been taken care of. God doesn't say, now you go over in that corner and leave me alone. You have exhausted me. You have offended me. So this is the praise offering, or sorry, this is the, the fellowship offering. I can hear myself, thank you. We find in verses 12 through 15, this peace offering is described in three different ways. One, it is a praise to give thanks for specific acts that the Lord had done on the offerer's behalf. So a way in which one might enjoy fellowship is they are giving praise to God. I can now be before you. So an offerer would bring a sacrifice and bread and enjoy fellowship. Meat would be eaten that day. And because this one is of a different category, we have praise, vow, and free will, the meat was to be eaten that day and that day alone. Now, I don't understand all of this. And there are some portions of this chapter I'm going to simply introduce and then continue on. If you want to know more of the particulars, we have small group. You can play with me at the playground with my kids and we can talk about this. Um, but some of this we're going to just broadly sweep through. So the praise offering required one meat bread, and the meat must be eaten that day. Uh, then there is in verse 16 through 18 in the peace offering, one that is offered up from a vow. This is to fulfill a vow in response to answered prayer. Someone has come before the Lord and asked that the Lord would intervene or provide in some way. And they are waiting and they are hoping and they are declaring that he is going to be faithful and even if it doesn't happen my way, I am going to be leaning forward in faith. And when it comes to pass, they bring about this offering. Are there certain things you have held on to between you and God? Asking that he might fulfill it. There's a special request I've been praying for this week at the, at the front of my mind. Just asking that the Lord would be good in speaking and providing in a particular way. I think we see mention of this in Psalm 66, verse 13 through 16. You can turn to Psalm 66 if you like. I'm going to go ahead and start reading in verse 13. I shall come into your house with burnt offerings. I shall pay you my vows, which my lips uttered, and my mouth spoke when I was in distress. I shall offer to you burnt offerings of fat beasts. With the smoke of rams, I shall make an offering of bulls with male goats. Selah. Come and hear all who fear God, and I will tell of what he has done for my soul. From this testimony, you can see that this wasn't just a, well, he showed up, God answered my prayer. Now I'm going to kill something. 
It's not that tone whatsoever. It's the Lord has been faithful. He has been good. I have made a vow unto him. Think about Hannah when she prays for a child. Like in her desperation, Lord provide, Lord save me, Lord redeem. He has delivered me. He has answered my prayer. He is near to me. I will make an offering before you out of a heart of thanksgiving. And we shall enjoy this meal, for you have visited your servant and have been kind. In verse 19 through 21, we see a free will offering. This is a voluntary offering to the Lord. And it's just a general expression of thanksgiving and praise to the Lord for his character and his deeds. You see how this is voluntary and see how beautiful it is? Lord, I just want to say I am thankful. Lord, I want to say that you could have chosen a different person. You could have walked away from me. You did not have to be faithful. You could have made your name greater some other way than attaching me to yourself. But you have been kind to me. You love me. And so I give of myself. Both the vow and the free will offerings, they could be eaten the next day. They didn't have to be eaten on that day. That fellowship, that food could be enjoyed for one more day. And why the days are limited, I'm not a thousand percent sure. Uh, When it comes to the praise offering, I think that is viewed as a little bit more sacred. And the possibility of meat becoming unclean is really easy. There are two different distinctions or divisions in Leviticus. One is clean and unclean, holy and unholy. One must be clean and holy before God. Dirty doesn't always mean unholy, but it's not appropriate. So in order to be appropriate before God, they wouldn't allow the sacrifice to just linger for several days. It was not casual, though it was from a heart of of thanksgiving, of joy, it still was done appropriately. You can think about several different holidays of where you do things joyfully, but there is a certain type of culture or custom you keep or else you will upset someone. Or it makes it special when you do what it is that you do. Now there are some prohibitions against eating fat and blood in verse 22 through 27. And we're going to start skimming fast, okay? And if you want to get into the nitty-gritty of the nitty-gritty, again, I'm at the playground in about another 15 minutes, okay? Uh, Violators are susceptible to being cut off from Yahweh's people. Those who mishandle these offerings are those who decide to consume blood the Lord sees as unholy. One, it belongs to God. And it's been presented to him. And to treat what's been offered to him as casual is inappropriate. Second, the Lord is wanting to protect Israel from pagan practices of consuming blood. Theologically, this is wrong because sin is in the blood. So it communicates something awful theologically. I enjoy sin. And we think, I think, automatically, health reasons. It's gross. It's not physically good for your well-being to consume 
blood. We also see that portions of fellowship offering meat is consecrated for the priests in verses 28 through 36. And there is where I'm going to be the most briefest. There are certain portions of the meat that are given for the priests. Now, the right side of an animal is seen as the best. I'm left-handed. All the right-handed people in the room, you were seen as honest and as trustworthy and strong. And in the Bible, whenever there's a left-handed person, they're known to be untrustworthy and bad. Whatever. But now, God, God's word's good. God's word's good, okay? But, but whatever. I love sometimes competing with guys, something sports-related. Let me try it with my left hand, and I will fool you for half a second. But there are parts of this animal that are given to the priest, the right thigh. That was known as the best portion of the meat. Now, when you go to the butcher shop, you're not thinking, give me the, give me the right side of this animal, not, not the left. To us, that makes no sense whatsoever. But in this custom, that was the prized portion. What also was given to the priest was the breast. And it's given two different distinctions in this chapter. But we're not going to get really nerdy on this. We're going to back up a little bit and look at the main point. The Lord desires to give the best to those that are faithful in serving him. He desires to give best to them. Deacons and elders... He desires you to have his best. When you think about best, please divorce yourself from what the Lord thinks is best. Believers have a different idea of what is good, what's incredible, what's amazing. The world has their own categories. Best for you is that you have this much money. Best for you is you have this big platform. Best for you is you have this much rest. Best for you is your name is known. People love you. People fear you. People can't stop thinking about you. That's a different category. God's best is much different. God's best includes that you feed the sheep God's bless is that you encourage one another in the scriptures. God's best is that you love them and live life with them. God's best is that you are used by him. Getting to go through Leviticus, I've gotten to nerd out a little bit on my own. It probably bleeds out a little bit. What, what I have learned about Moses, about the law, about God, has just been incredible. This morning I was eating breakfast with my kids and I was trying to explain to them the first time I sat in a Bible college class. trying not to cry as like little Zion has snot on his face eating toast. have time for the whole story. I'll summarize it real quick. In life, I wanted to do nothing but this. Only this. From a very young age. And when I sat in that first Bible class and had a professor teach Bible, not just preach, which is beautiful, but teach it and like stimulate my brain, 
overwhelmed. Elders, you get to enjoy God that way. And then, if you're blessed, like we're blessed here, we're really blessed here, you're loved on by the saints. You're loved on by some amazing people here. Let those be your rewards. Let's bow in prayer. True and living God, it's beautiful to come to your law. It's beautiful to look at these offerings and to rest in what Christ has accomplished as the sacrifice and as the priest. We pray that we would continually be encouraged and find you as we study your word, that we may delight in you and walk in obedience. Holy Spirit, help us as we strive. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.